and welcome to Race Reflections at Work, the podcast that focuses on inequality, injustice and oppression in the workplace. This is Lucia and in this episode I will discuss class and classism from a psychosocial perspective. I will share some thoughts around these concepts and what they may represent in our current structures of oppression. I do believe the mechanisms of social hierarchies, oppression and discrimination class, race, gender, among others, are all quite intimately connected in our social system. And in being so, they do share some characteristics. Obviously, I want to point out before we start, might be also unhelpful to compare them in most cases, as they do not share a lot of the same historical and material conditions. So I just wanted to make that as a disclaimer. But I do think it might be helpful to look at them from a psychosocial perspective and understand the processes that might be similar in different cases. So to send us your queries, questions or dilemmas, please email at work at racereflections.co.uk. I talk about class, I always like to start by saying that it is very difficult, if not impossible, to clearly define class and characterizations and what it means, or define different social class groups. There's also the notion of class identity that's been used for a while that might define belonging to a certain class group. And this notion of class identity is also quite debated for different reasons. We will not go into this today. It can get quite theoretical. But there's one thing I think it's important to start with, and that's at least the definition of classism. As whatever our theoretical position on this topic, we can't deny that in this incredibly hierarchical world, people and groups are classified along class lines. Obviously, what determines these classifications might change depending on location. It might not be the same in all societies, culture, and also time. It has changed through history. And the way someone is classified by others, someone identifies or or feels like, might also change through an individual's life as their personal material circumstances also change. I think we can use the following definition as a general one to underpin our reflections today. So what is classism? The belief that a person's social or economic station in society determines their value in that society. It creates prejudice or discrimination based on social class. It includes attitudes, so individual attitudes, also relational elements, behaviours, and also structural and social systems. It's more of a systemic thing as well. So including policies and practices in our society that are set up to benefit one group at the expense of another. What also happens is that sometimes the dominant way of thinking wants us to believe that these social classification exist as a description 
of an objective reality, of material conditions. But I think, in truth, classifications of any type in our society necessarily contain some sort of presuppositions or evaluations or judgments of worth of whatever is being classified. So if we're talking about class, it does enact some form of power and of judgment of a person's or a group's worth. Again, the direction of power in this axis of oppression is also the one of the gaze, as we've heard previously Guilherme Kinwani say. In this case, with classism, that means people located on the lower end of the social scale are subjected to the judgment, the projections, and the stereotypes made by people of middle and upper class groups. So we can consider class, then, uh, some sort of historic representation of a categorization of a person's or a group's value in society. It's always a moral classification. So that was a bit of a definition of what class and classism is. What now if we look at the relational aspect of it? For that, I like to focus for a second on Pierre Bourdieu's work. So he did focus on the subjective micro-distinctions through which class is lived and perceived by people. He conceptualized class as a relational experience, and that means it involves a sense of one's place in society in relation to the place of others around us in society. In that way, and building on Bourdieu's work, another sociologist, Savage, she says class being construed more as a difference than as belonging to a group. So looking around us to different people, different groups, certain characteristics inform us or inform people on how to place themselves and others on the social scale. Things like language used, accent, appearance, the profession of a person, for example, etc. It is true that it has evolved with time, and we can say that perhaps in modern times, it becomes increasingly tied to internalized rather than external forms of control, you know, the belonging or the distinction between these groups. And that means it becomes increasingly tied to things like judgment of ourselves and others, and also emotions like shame or a sense of superiority, and attached to things that we might call delicacies, you know, that have huge roles in this. And by that, what I mean is matters of taste, etiquette, manners, hygiene, things that we consider and we judge around these scales of, you know, superior, inferior, but all tied to internal feelings. This makes class today a deeply embodied experience for everyone that might be absorbed, internalized and felt from a very, very early age. And obviously this embodied experience, this internal process comes with, as we grow up, as we go out into the job market, what sort of material opportunities we have, what opportunities in, the, in education and job we have, how we are treated by others and how we also consider and treat others. So it is a mix between behaviors, 
internal processes and external material conditions. So considering this, I think we could conceptualize class and notably, I think, middle and upper class identity or belonging to this group as a process of othering and of exclusion instead of a process of belonging or identity, really. So what is it that's being othered or excluded? It's what's considered inferior. So whatever is projected onto the working class other. In this case, and at least in British society, that tends to be characteristics like emotionality, irrationality, uncleanliness, necessity, etc. With the middle and upper class, let's say, appropriating or identifying as more rational, more educated, cleaner, and, you know, that sort of image and, and stereotypes. Historically, though, I just want to point out that these stereotypes have existed for a long time and they were used as a justification for the exploitation of the working class. At least during the Industrial Revolution, it was the case. So people were considered to occupy their so-called righteous place in society. I believe that challenging and questioning these projections that are put onto the working class groups and what value we might give to things like rational discourse, to this type of separating mind and body, white Western type education, ideas of manners of propriety and emotional regulation, etc. We can challenge those and see what comes from a classist type of mindset to help us unlearn these things that we might have internalized. Lastly, I wanted to also include in today's reflection a point on classism in conjunction with white adjacency. So there's been a lot of talk lately about white adjacent groups reproducing whiteness and oppression while also gaining access to spheres of power and the accumulation of resources or wealth that these spheres of power offer. A lot of shock, a lot of disappointment and confusion at the actions, at the words and the ideology of people like Priti Patel or Rishi Sunak in the government. And one thing that I believe people are actually not considering when thinking about these examples, or at least not considering enough, is how class and classism may affect their experiences, compounding with you know, experiences of being racialized other in this country. And it impacts the way in which they navigate the world. Not only this, but how classism and racial identity compound an impact on a person's reactions and defensive mechanisms as well. So if we start with thinking about their middle class position or middle class mindset, we can consider what we previously explored about distinction and exclusion. What tends to become important, at times 
in a conscious way and at times unconsciously is to retain and maintain status in this society. And by that, I mean two things. Retaining, maintaining some sort of exclusive access to wealth, resources, and the accumulation of those, materially speaking. And the second thing is on the psychological and emotional side of things, maintaining some sense of superiority or some sense of worth in this world. Actually feeling ontological, which is the person's being, ontologically superior. And what I'm doing here, I think, is the exploration of a possibility, right, of this maintenance of ontological worth for people in these positions of middle class, and it becoming perhaps all the more figural, all the more urgent and important when there are other aspects of our identity which might be threatening that person's sense of worth in this society or that person's sense of social standing as racism might be or other forms of oppression as well. Sometimes these threats get quite violent, as we know. So by adopting some sort of classist mindset or reproducing cultural whiteness, protecting one's access to high social status through being middle class or upper class, then there is quite a solid defense that can be constituted against being demoted, ontologically speaking, being considered less than. In that sense, I believe white adjacency and other forms of distinction can become all the more important to maintain in a person's life. Distancing oneself from certain communities deemed inferior or seen as position lower on the social scale. I am not like the others. That becomes kind of the driving motto, the driving sentence of people sometimes. So to finish, I just want to offer a reflection, right? We might be very disappointed, enraged, sad to see people do what we consider treason to their communities or what we consider their communities, but what clearly they do not consider their community or they don't consider they belong to that community or they don't want to. I believe that adopting certain oppressive mindsets like middle-class ideals, like whiteness, aspirations and attitudes, is also about material comfort, but not just that. It can be about gaining some sense of safety, some sense of superiority and worth, some ontological safety in this society. It is, and it makes, adopting whiteness and acting like what we call white adjacent groups, all the more desirable and safe. So today we have reflected a little bit on the concept of class and classism, on how they might look like, express themselves in our system. And we have also reflected on the conjunction of classism and whiteness in the particular case of white adjacent groups.
I hope this episode has been useful for you in your reflections and that you will continue to think with us on topics of inequality, injustice and oppression in the workplace. Please subscribe, rate and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening. This has been Lucia from Race Reflections. Take care and goodbye. Hello, this is Dave from Race Reflections, the person who puts the podcast together. I'm just here to add a quick note to say that whilst our episodes usually air on the first and third Monday of every month, due to breaking for the holidays, the first episode of Race Reflections at work in 2023 will come out on Monday the 16th of January. And from all the team at Race Reflections, we'd like to wish you a safe and nourishing break, whether you are celebrating any of the festivals or none of them. And we're looking forward to continuing to reflect with you in the new year. Mm